Yo, people, this is a special edition of the podcast, right? We're giving you an early echo chamber, you know what I mean? Just because we're cool like that. So today we are speaking to, um, yeah, uh, a, a director, you know, we looked at his film a little bit a while ago, but you know, I mean, we've got the opportunity to have a conversation because the film was great. So, uh, yeah, that's what we are bringing you today. So, sit back and let's get it popping. Okay, so people, up now we have Jason Miller, writer, director. You know, what I mean, this, uh, yeah, we get the opportunity to talk to him about his feature directorial debut. So, um, great conversation. People, sit back and uh, listen to the man talk. Okay, people. So, I have the pleasure of being joined by Jason Miller, the writer and director of Ghosts of the Void. Right? So, we looked at this film a few months back. And um, yeah, it was great. So I'm glad uh, we've got the chance to talk to uh, Jason, man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Man, this was a really interesting film. Really interesting film. Where did the idea come from? <clears throat> well, uh, I mean, it started really with uh, just trying to find a, a concept for a movie that could be shot on a low budget you know um kind of going along with the, the the traditional wisdom of find a location that can be a single location two characters you know try to keep it simple um i was sitting in my car and i thought well what if i could make a movie that took place inside a parked car um <laughs> what would that look like and then the next question was like well why would two people be in a parked car and from there it's like well maybe they were evicted and they're living out of their car and then at that point, I knew like I had something because I knew that I had a, a story that I could sort of sink my teeth into thematically. Um, that if I was going to be dealing with eviction and poverty and that kind of thing, that there was definitely a horror story to be told in that. Um, so yeah, then I just started writing. I didn't quite know where it was going. I just start, you know, it tends to be how I do it. I just start writing and see what happens. So right, right now, um. How long did the process take then with, with the writing of the script? Well, I wrote, I wrote the very, the very first draft of the script that I ever wrote was, was very different. It, it had the same setup, but it, it kind of took a very different turn. It kind of became like a more of a surrealist David Lynch kind of thing. Um, and that took like, that was really just like a week of me just banging out whatever came into my head. Um, it wasn't that great, but it was just the first kind of stab at seeing where that story would go. Um, and then I shelved that. And this was this was a while ago. This was before um, the the producer of Ghost of the Void, Seth Savoy, um, directed a film a, a couple of years ago called Echo Boomers, which I was also a writer. Um, and this, I wrote that draft before we went into production on that. Um, okay just to have something in my back pocket, just to have that, that sort of back pocket, low budget script. Mm. Um, but then Echo Boomers happened and which was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, we got to make that movie. I got to be on that set and that was a lot of fun. Um, got back from that shoot and then COVID hit. And so I was once again, kind of in that position of like, you know what, I, I need that back pocket micro budget script. Um, so at that point I pulled the script back out and really from page one, started writing it again. Kind of had the idea like same premise. I'm gonna start from the same place, but I'm gonna take a different direction this time and see where see where it goes and see if I went in a more straightforward direction, how would that turn out? And so starting from that point on, it, it you know, it was a better part of a year of just kind of writing back and forth, trying different things. I mean, at a certain point in, in, in that process, I had given it over to Seth because Seth had asked you know, after we had finished Echo Boomer stuff, I was like, hey man, let me, you know, what do you, what do you got that you want to do and, you know, shoot it my way and I'll see if I can pull my resources together and get it to happen. 
Um, so he came on board and once he came on board, you know, it was a lot of notes and back and forth with the investors and producers to kind of find a movie that we all were happy with. Um, and, you know, we were writing right up until the minute that we start shooting, you know, um, and even while shooting, there's a lot of, you know, tweaking and changing and stuff. Mm. Not. So I would say the full year, it took about a year but between bringing Seth on board uh, and production it took us um, took us about a year of development, finding money and that kind of thing. And I was writing the whole time, you know, just not, you know, not not the whole script, but, you know, writing drafts of the script yeah. and tweaks and changes and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an important thing, though, right? There's I think sometimes people want to finish, you know, a draft, a script like really quick. Mm-hmm. But the first thing isn't necessarily the best thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's just looking, going back and forth, seeing what works, what doesn't, giving someone eyes on something. You know, there's a lot to that. But then also you need to, it's that understanding, okay, I, we can go. This is it. I, I can't yeah. stop. I can't keep meddling with this because it's good. It's still good. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Mad, but I, I thought it's funny when you were like, oh, I thought I'd go in a more straightforward direction because it's not really straightforward. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, at some point in the in the in the process of that draft, I started missing some of those sort of surreal elements from the original. And, I, and so I started kind of circling back and, and working some of that stuff back in. Uh, so we kind of ended up somewhere in the middle, I think. Um, you know, it, it became, I think it just kind of became important to me to capture the feeling that I wanted to capture, the psychology of being overwhelmed with anxiety and, you know, the uh, the sort of exhaustion and sleep deprivation. That became more interesting to me than just like telling a straightforward like home invasion kind of story. Mm. Um, and so I think that's why I started missing those elements. Like, when I when I went full straightforward thriller, it, it just felt like it was missing something, and so that's why I circled back and and just said, "Yeah, it's not very straightforward now." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of like Life of Pi for adults. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I I think that's it's it's really just intriguing because we first um you know we we. We come across our uh, our couple, right? And you're under the impression that this is, you know, a happy couple just going through a few issues, right? They've mm-hmm. hit hard times. You know, it's like at the very beginning when, you know, Jen, she feels she snapped and she's like, oh, I'm really sorry for it. And he's just like, yo, that's. Come on, if that's snapping, it's nothing, right? And you're just like, oh, man, like hard times. We've all been there. But the mm-hmm. more it unfolds, right, the, 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 the deeper we see this goes. And I think yeah. that's really intriguing. I think it really just finds itself perfectly in those moments. You know, how hard was that? that kind of part of it to write have it unfold in a way where you you catch the viewer off and we just peel back those layers um you know honestly it's a blur it's hard to because it was there was so there was just so much sort of gradually piece by piece figuring out who these characters were and then and then going back and like you know writing the setup to the payoff that you've just kind of discovered. Um, so it wasn't so much difficult as it was just time consuming and a matter of patience and, and finding those little those little beats. Once I kind of had the, the sense of like who Tyler was and what his issues were, um, you know, I started, and this is something that we also talked about with the actors a lot, was kind of figuring out what's really going on in that first act um, versus what it looks like is going on. And so, you know, it, it was it, it was kind of easier to think about 
Tyler as, you know, having this sort of mental illness that he's, you know, very volatile and, and, and always ready to snap. And that Jen has to sort of like compensate and deal with that. Um, you know, it was easy to kind of make that look like love and tenderness when it was actually a certain kind of, you know, fear and trepidation. Um, mm. um, so, yeah, you know, just kind of knowing what's really going on and versus how they present it, that helps in the writing process. It gives you kind of a guide to, to you know, go on. But I think the biggest the biggest hurdle there was just trying to figure out how much of it worked on the page and how clear it was. Because there's there's so much there that I knew I was going to have to rely heavily on the actors to sort of bring out some of the nuances of that. But, you know, you don't have that on the page when you're pitching and trying to find investors and, and mm. they're reading it. And it's like, you know, 40 pages of characters who love each other and then don't all of a sudden. Um, you know, it's hard to find that on the page sometimes and communicate that, those nuances. Yeah, because it's like tone of voice, it's use of words, like it mm. really just, man, it works so well. And then, you know, the the actors you got, man, they killed it, right? Yeah, they, they did. They conveyed sure. those emotions perfectly, you know? What was that casting process like? You know, it was a pretty standard um, process. We we hired a casting agent out of Chicago. Um, they they sent out a casting call to some New York agents and a few Chicago agents and a few New York agents. Um, but it was through the New York agents that we got um, callbacks from Tedra and Michael. And um, and yeah, they. Uh, you know, they were the they were the best ones for the role. I was looking for some very specific things that they had. You know, with Michael or with Tyler, I was looking for a that sort of masked um, darkness, that you know, that ability to kind of have that kindness and gentleness about him. And you know, to, to get that, I, I just sent them two sides. One was a scene from earlier in the film, and then one was a scene from later in the film. And Michael just nailed both. It was just like, he, he was such, he's such a nice guy and such a kind and friendly guy and, and approachable guy. But then he can turn that, that darkness on really well. And, and it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, and Tedra the same way, you know, I was looking for somebody who had sort of a quiet strength. You know, she's somebody who has to deal with a very volatile person and has to do so with a certain kind of tenderness and patience. Um, and I wanted to see that, and I wanted to see what it looked like when that broke, and Tedra delivered that too. So yeah, they were right for the roles, and uh, no regrets there for for that that casting choice. Mm. Like, what did you kind of did you do anything to help them build that relationship, you know, or give them reference points for? what you wanted from those characters we just really just talked about who these characters were and um you know what they were going through um i talked a lot about you know with tedra i talked a lot about how she needs to approach tyler um you know because sometimes you know the tendency with some of the dialogue was to play it very aggressive you know that you know she would snap at him or or you know, say something with a little bit of, you know, um, grit to it. And, but it took, you know, that that's kind of the tendency in a lot of the auditions and stuff like that. But the, ten mm. but the ability to kind of talk with an actor and say like, you know what, let's try it to where, you know, you're going to approach with a lot more, um, you know, uh, caution here and, and, and try to keep the peace. Um, those little nuances and stuff like that was, was a lot of just kind of what we talked about and really that was it it was just a lot of kind of conversation going up um we had like a half day rehearsal and that was it um but um you know rehearsals are fine but i really just like talking about the characters with the actors i think that for me at least it just does a lot more um because if they can get in that headspace and map out 
the arcs themselves. Um, then the rehearsals, you know, rehearsals then just are a breeze. Yeah. So. Okay. But I think this was your featured directorial debut, yeah, right? And that's like, it doesn't look like it's your feature directorial debut, Jason. You know what I mean? It, it, you just think this comes from someone with a seasoned hand because it's dealing with those nuances, with just that deft touch to make it seem, you know what I mean, like it's one mm. thing, right? The way you unfolded the story. So what was it that you felt this was the right time for a feature and the right time for this type of complex feature because it's not just two people sitting in the car and talking right there's right. so many complexities to it yeah um well i mean i i feel like it's been the right time for a feature for you know over a decade now um, <laughs> it's just uh you know it's just getting to the right one you know and i i had tried on several occasions to get you know, some bigger projects off the ground that were, you know, too big for a first-time director to be trying to, to take on. No one's going to give a first-time director millions of dollars to <laughs> make their first feature, unless you're Steph making Echo Boomers. But, um, but for me, it was, you know, it wasn't that easy. But I kept trying until I finally sort of like stepped back and said, okay, you know what? Do the smart thing and write that simple, low-budget movie that you know every first director has to do. Um, it, it took, it took me like 10 years too long to figure out that I needed to do that. Um, but, you know, I also think that just for this story, um, those 10 years of trying to get a first feature off the ground was a struggle. Um, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of those sleepless nights, a lot of, uh, you know, anxiety trying to find work and trying to pay the bills while you pursued your dream. And so those 10 years of struggle really informed what that that first feature ended up being. You know, it, I ended up having the story to write based on the experience of trying to find it. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah, you know, um, it just felt like the right one. It was, it was the right approach to, to finally get that done. Um, and, you know, it, it's, to me, it's just a matter of, of time and patience. You know, you, if you just work on something long enough and dwell on it long enough, you know, you just, you keep adding those layers. They, they just kind of naturally start working in. And, you know, I, I tend to kind of approach things from a set it and forget it kind of standpoint in the sense that, like, once I have an aspect of it that I know works, I, I sort of, like, step away from it and let it just, let it be like whether it's a metaphor or an image or something like that. Um, and then I'll start building on top of that to the point then that by the time I'm like in the editing process, I can't quite remember like what was planned and what was, I, I, I'd, I'd see like some little details that would come up like, oh, that's really cool. That worked out really nice. That little, this little uh, uh, motif that, that, that kind of happened. And, and like my wife, who's been part of the, process for the whole time it's like yeah you, you planned that you wrote that in the script like oh i did didn't i yeah because you know so it's just like a lot of layers that build up over time and you just have to cut it you can't i don't think you can think about it all at once you know you mm, can't mm. like try to balance it all you just have to kind of like build a layer build a layer build a layer and, and then you know at a certain point when they're shooting I honestly can't remember why I wanted this set up like this, what the metaphor was or what, you know, that, but I know there was a reason. And so I keep, you know, that makes yeah. sense. You, you, you trust yourself, right? That yeah. these things are there for a reason that it all become clear at some point. Yeah. Right. Right. Are you a storyboard type of person, Jason? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, not that it does a lot of good when you get on set and you have to, you know, scrap your whole thing. But um, I, we definitely planned a lot, especially for this movie, just because, you know, there was so little that, well, 
seemingly so little that you can really do with such a limited location. And so DP and I were very adamant about finding every possible angle that we could um, and sort of mapping out when we would use it, when, you know, when is the camera going to be behind them in the back seat or in front of them? And what does each mean? When do we employ one or the other? Um, so yeah, we did a lot of storyboarding and a lot of, we had a lot of shot listing. Um, but then we get on set and we realized that we vastly overestimated how quickly we could, you know, run through all this stuff. And so we're kind of on the day, like having to, you know, completely rethink what our plan was, but, you know, going in with the plan, you, you already know kind of what, what you need to get to. So yeah. it's easier to kind of work out a whole new blocking system than you have that as a foundation. So um, definitely a planner. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> How was the outside shots, you know, doing it in the woods and that? Was, was that oh, difficult? Very difficult. We shot in November oh. um, in a Chicago sub suburb. So it was freezing cold. Um, that parking lot had no natural light. There was no street light, nothing. And so it had to kind of, we had to build the entire lighting setup and they had to do it every night, night after night, because we, we were in a, it was a school parking lot. And so there were, there were kids that were on campus until like 6 PM. And, you know, by 6:30 in November in Chicago, it's pure, it's pitch black. And so we couldn't even get on set and start setting up until it was already dark. And that was, that was a huge, and you know, that involved moving a condor around and, and like all sorts of like, just, just chaos. Um, we had a very small crew and they were great. They were excellent, but there's only so much a small crew can do in the pitch black <laughs> cold. And so, yeah, you know, night after night was a very, very difficult, challenging thing. And, you know, it'd be wet, muddy. And so, yeah, yeah, it was really tough. Oh boy. <laughs> that sounds rough, man. It definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> like, does something like a night shoot in the winter, does that add to the insurance? Um, I think so, yeah. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I, I think it certainly comes across in the performances, you know, of just how, you know how much uh, tension there is there because, you know, they're physically feeling the tension of being in the freezing cold. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it's tough, but it, but it, it, it you know, it's, it's part of the process. Is how mm. it has to be sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, no, it, it really it really works so well, you know, with the, uh, like with the shoot, how long did you have to be able to, you know, do all of this? Like what kind of time constraints were you working with? Um, well, totally we shot for 19 days and we shot 10 hours a day, um, which is not a lot. Um, but, um, we, we kind of made a decision early on that we wanted to do 10 hour days, uh, for a variety of reasons. One is just, we knew the misery of it. Um, uh, but this was in 2021, right? We started shooting right after the IOTSI strike had almost happened. Um, right. It, it didn't happen, but it was very close. And so it was a very much at the forefront of everybody's mind was, you know, set like, running at running trying to run a set that was not just a complete disaster um, and we knew that just more than 10 hours out in this freezing cold is just going to be too much so mm -hmm. we decided on 10 hours but then that really cut into what we were able to do because you know that's 10 hours to set up all the lights night after night again and again take them all down you know we would probably get maybe six seven hours of like solid shooting time um if i'm being generous you know it was just it was just that tough so um yeah you know 
it was it was time crunch, a lot of time crunch for sure. Right. Boy, how much changed in the editing process or did anything change? The editing process, not too much. Um, you know, there were some scenes rearranged and, and stuff like that, but in the editing, it, it pretty much kind of fell fell into place as we shot it. Now, in the shooting process, there was a lot of, you know, as I've said, there's a lot of changes there, um, just in terms of like rethinking how a scene played out because you had to rethink the blocking and stuff like that. And, you know, we lost a few days of shooting um, due to some unforeseen problem we a location fell through um so we i had to like we had a location for the flashbacks that fell through and i had to scrap like half of those flashback scenes um and figure out like okay what things do i need to have to tell their story enough to get it across Mm. what can we do without um so that was on the day figuring that out um, in some cases we were able to like salvage certain details from the deleted scenes and work them into the dialogue of the scenes that we were able to shoot but for the most part it was like a very tough decision to kind of pick from this many things kind of find this many things that conveyed the the story enough to make the movie coherent um to some degree um so yeah, a lot changed in that process. But like once we got to the editing process, we knew what we had and what we could do, and so not a lot changed from from in that sense. Right, right. With the um the location that you lost and everything, because you know watching it, the flashbacks are perfect, right? In how much detail we're given, and mm you know we we see how that relationship was we see what went down outside just all of those bits it felt like just the right amount right not Mm. too much to give too much away too early or make it really conclusive of situations so what did you actually what were you hoping to have shot do you remember yeah a lot of it kind of uh there was a little bit more detail about um, their debt situation. And there's a little bit more uh, examples of Tyler's sort of abusive toxicity. Um, and I think that had we shot some of that stuff, we probably would have ended up cutting a lot of it because, you know, there's, there's a lot of flashbacks in the movie. And I think more than we have would have been too much. Um, but I do think that there, some of the like little snippet flashbacks where it's just like a little flash to you know a, a shot and then back mm. um those might have been swapped out for some more overt kind of stuff um right. just to just kind of hint more at the toxicity of the relationship as it was you know the the best we had was we had this this scene of, of tyler passed out of his computer with the bloody hand and so it was like that's really the only thing we have to indicate his sort of mental health decline. So we just kept cutting back to that. Um, but it worked. It actually ended up kind of, I think, working as sort of um, a suspense building mechanisms and that, you know, if we keep cutting back to this one shot and kind of keep showing a little bit more of it and a little bit more of it and then finally reveal kind of what the story is behind that. Um, that was something that we kind of found in the edit because um, otherwise, yeah, it would have been a very, I hope it would have been a lot of different scenes of different things happening. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, it was tough because like when the film was finished and, and I looked at it, you know, one of my concerns I think was, do we have enough of the toxicity that Tyler has to warrant, you know, well, I, I guess I'm in a spoiler territory here. I guess we can give a spoiler warning for for the listeners. But like, um, do do I have enough toxicity to justify and warrant the direction the story ultimately goes, or is it too you know is it too soft and and now it just looks like a completely uncalled for you know thing unearned? Um, I was concerned about that. 
but I've been pleasantly surprised with the response so far. You know, I, I've read a lot of reviews and stuff of people really just like hating Tyler and, and really kind of feeling that toxicity and, and the grossness of it. So it worked out, I feel like, you know, it, it, we, yeah. I didn't need those things as much as I thought I did. So. No, I, I think it was well balanced, right? Because I think too much and you're just then wondering why is she with him? Right. Sure. Why is she staying? So just see the, the amount of stuff that you showed, like with the talking about the oh, I love the first draft, like that scene was great, mm -hmm. you know, and then he's like, I've deleted it and that bit. And, you know, so we see those instant. So I think you planted enough breadcrumbs for people to see this escalation right see when she's talking to her mom be like well I, I need to stay visit this and so we saw enough right to warrant why someone would be in a car with this person right because otherwise you'd be like what i mean that's the time to jettison right like at yeah time, like you could escape so it's just like why are they there so i think what yeah. you had just seemed like it's the perfect amount yeah and i didn't want it to be so toxic that it was exhausting to watch too you know um yeah i think about the movie like uh the movie possession with sam neill which is which is a great movie but holy crap it's just like <laughs> it wears you down and i didn't yeah. want that kind of energy for this movie i wanted it to be a toxicity that crept in slowly um but yeah you know there was a moment when i thought i'd crept it in too slowly and too subtly um, but I'm happy with it now. I'm happy with, you know, the response has given me some confidence in it. So, mm. yeah, it, it kind of reminded me a bit of Memento, right? Because yeah. when you first watch it, you think, ah, oh, poor, poor guy Pierce. And then by then you're like, you're a piece of shit, man. Like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Like, how did you decide on the 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 soundtrack because it's very oppressive right and and it works really well but you're just like god damn <laughs> uh well we had a you know i, I had a great uh, composer in, in devin delaney um we actually pre-scored the movie um well we didn't pre-score the movie he he wrote some original score for us before we started editing Right. So we didn't have to use any temp trap, which was great. It was nice to just like, I hate using temp music because you're going to get married to something and mm. it seems going to work for a piece of music that you can't use. And But with, with all of the original tracks, we didn't have to do that. Now he went back and we ended up reworking a lot of it um, for the final thing. Um, but yeah, at a certain point, we kind of had this idea of working in this sort of Americana kind of sound um there's a lot of use of like banjos and things like that that kind of these little plucks and stuff that uh you know, kind of work kind of create this sort of jarring like warped version of americana um and so yeah i just, I just really like what he did there and um and then there's a sound team all all together uh guys over at noise floor just did such a great job at you know creating such a you know, rich and detailed, you know, thing. Yeah, it's, it's in the details. And I, I, I love sound. I'm, I'm really big on sound. And, you know, it's things like, you know, the car, you know, the way they would move in the seats and, and mm. creaks and the springs and all the stuff. You know, I knew that that had to be a character in the movie. It had to, you know, I wanted to hear how poor it was. And, you know, so, yeah, it was, you know, they were just good at what they do. So um, <laughs> it kind of it came together. Yeah. I mean, was there like, again, was there like reference points that you gave, you know, thinking of other films and like, oh, I, I'm kind of looking for something like this or, you know, how did you work things out? Um, with the music initially, uh, yeah, you know, I gave them a couple of, of examples of sort of uh, some stuff that that I liked that was very atmospheric, which is really what I, I kind of wanted from from the score was atmospheric sound. So, um, 
you know, we looked at, at stuff like uh, Annihilation and um, the score for uh, Under the Skin, um, things like that. Um, mm. But I think that that was kind of a starting point. We slowly kind of discovered our own thing. Um, um, so, so, yeah. Awesome. Now, going into this, what did you kind of envision to be the, the most difficult thing, right? The thing that might cause you the most issues. And at the end, was that the case or was it something else? Um, <clears throat> I think that the thing I was most nervous about going in was not the actors themselves, but me working with the actors. Right. Um, my my actors director kind of thing. It's the it's. I think that's one thing that most directors are kind of self conscious about. Because um, it's 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 nice to be an actors director, but so many of us don't feel like we are. And you know, I I, I never worked with SAG actors either. Um, so this was that that was a first. Well, I'd worked with one SAG actor once a long time ago for a short film. But for the most part, you know, this is my first time working with with actors of this caliber, um, which you know, I mean, you know, Jen Ty or uh, Michael and Dedra, they're not, you know, they're not stars yet, um, but they'd been in some things, and so they they had the experience. And here I'm coming along, you know, thinking like, oh man, you know, I think I ended up in the end sort of over preparing for that because I was so nervous about it that I was just like I was rereading all the books and all the stuff pulling out all the stuff from film school to like just to refresh my memory of how you know how to best approach this and by and then I actually started talking to them and it was just a breeze it was great they were fantastic I felt like we hit it off and so I don't know if I I don't know if my over preparation like paid off or if I never really had to worry about it in the first place. Um, but I have told people like the easiest part of the shoot was the actors because Michael and Tedger were just so great and they, you know, they didn't need a lot. They just, we just needed to talk about the characters and they got it and they, they made it happen. Um, so yeah, that was the thing I was most nervous about. And it was the thing that I think worked out the best in the whole thing that, really makes the movie i think when 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 things were really tough and i was scrapping those shots and and rethinking some of the act actions that i i wanted to happen i just it, it gets it gets really discouraging at, at a point but then i kind of look at what michael and tedger are doing and i'm thinking if nothing else i've got a movie with two strong actors who are delivering some great performances mm. so that kind of kept me going um during the hard times for sure yeah, it's, it's, I mean, everything works. Like, everything works. It's great, man. Like, what's the reception been like? Um, it's It's been good. Uh, you know, it, it was a little tough at first. Um, we actually, the movie was originally called The Lot. That was the original title. And we started shopping it around um, film festivals um, under that title. And it's just, we weren't getting bites. It just, at the same time, we didn't have a trailer. We didn't have a poster. We didn't have any marketing behind it at all. We were just trying to put it out there and hoping people would, would take the bait and, and, and give it a watch. And we just weren't getting the response we wanted from it. So we decided to regroup. We started kind of putting our marketing materials together. Um, one of our producers suggested a title change. And so we started kind of exploring that option. Um, and we regrouped and we, started again and we started getting those bites um we got into popcorn frights which was one of i think the best things that happened for the movie was playing virtually there um that's a really great genre festival and because we were virtual we were basically accessible to anybody in the u.s mm. and so from that point we started actually getting reviews we started you know we got up on letterboxd and people started actually giving their their thoughts um so so that was great i and i found it to be polarizing in a lot of ways which i kind of always figured it would be and and i'm okay with that i, I I'm, I'm proud of that i think that's that's a good thing um and but i i like the I, it's it's been nice seeing the the nice reviews the, the reviews from people that really get what the movie's going for and appreciate it 
Um, that's been very encouraging and um, really, really great. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that part's been good. Um, I don't see much of the negativity because I, I choose not to click on the the two star reviews and stuff like that. Uh, maybe I will later, but right now I, I don't need that in my head. Um, so so I don't know what the uh, I could I could guess though. You know, like I know what I I want to do better next time and stuff like that. So I don't you know whatever the criticisms are whatever but but the but the good reviews have been saying all the things that i had hoped they would say and 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 seeing the points of it that i i always hoped that people would see in it so that's been really encouraging and then we got distro and you know we're coming out so it's, it's right. finally happening so. mm. yeah because i think it was august when i originally looked at this Mm. So it's, it's been a while, you know, and it, I think with things like this, you always wonder, you know, because you watch great films, but you just think like, ah, oh, when's it going to, you know, drop mm. for everyone to see? So, you know, it's nice to know that you, you've got that date and that that's great. But, uh, you know, finishing your first film, right? So how much has that set you up? to go forward i know you've got another film in the works right so uh you know, yeah I got a couple um i got a couple irons in the fire at least um i've optioned another another script with seth company that's a cosmic horror um much bigger we're, we're, we're ready to kind of step up to the next to the next level um budget wise um but i also have another film one of one of those earlier films that i mentioned trying to get off the ground mm. that you know one of those is still out there kind of floating around getting some interest so you know my next movie could be one of those two or it might be something else entirely it might be it might be that we need to make another low budget one before we jump up to the next level uh in which case you know i'm i'm working on a script now that i think could be great for that um so I'm always just working on something and putting irons on fire, but hopefully, yeah, I mean, hopefully if that was the goal, right? The goal is just to get that over the hurdle of that first feature. Um, if nothing else, I can finally say that I've directed a feature film and it's out in the world. People can see it. Um, that feels, that feels really good. Um, as to whether or not it's going to open the doors to the next one, I hope so, but we'll see. Mm. Well, I mean, I, th I think you can tell people that you directed a great feature film, an award-winning feature film, Jason. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. just a, a little dippy old film. Like, you killed it with this, man. So you can hold Thank your you. head up high when talking about ghosts, man. You know? Yeah. Thank you. I had no worries, man. It, no, it was it was great to um watch it. And hopefully, Jason, you will be happy enough to come back and talk about you know your future projects because yeah, for sure. Awesome. Now, how can people keep track of what you're doing? Like, where can they find you? Um, I'm I'm on uh I'm on all the the social media sites. Uh, I'm on Instagram and and Twitter or whatever whatever they're calling it now. Um. <laughs> I, I'm on Blue Sky, which is where like I was like hoping things would start to transition over, um, but you know people 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 keep clinging Twitter, so you know <laughs> for for now for now I'm in those places, but we'll see we'll see what happens. Okie dokie. All right, well, people, make sure you go follow Jason because Ghost in the Void is a fantastic film. You know, uh, like. What genre would you say this is? I'm calling it like horror drama or a thriller drama, something like that. Right, right. So if that is your sort of thing, you need to go watch it. And are you open to all genres, Jason? Or is there certain ones um, you like playing in the most? I mean, horror is kind of where I where I really love to be. But I I, I definitely see myself branching out into other things. I think I'm always probably going to circle around more darker macabre kind of themes. Um, I don't see myself going like full comedy or anything like that. But um, yeah, you know. Okay. Well, Jason, let's try and keep it a little bit light because, man, I have to watch horror films during the day. Like, it's too <laughs> creepy to watch certain shit at night, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> 
No, but this was great. And I really appreciate getting the time to talk to you about the film, man. So I, I, I'm glad everything is going well. I'm glad it's about to drop. And I hope you're enjoying the success that's coming your way. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you very much, people. Go check out Ghost in the Void and go follow Jason. All right. Peace. Right. Thank you. Okay, so originally we checked this out in August on episode 272 of the podcast. But because we just, you know, had a great conversation with Jason, I figured you might want to uh, have a little refresh. So here we go with Ghosts of the Void. Okay, people. So, Entertainment Squad, the Horror Collective, have just graced me with this new flick, right? It is called Ghosts of the Void. Hmm. It is the feature film directorial debut from Jason Miller, who also wrote the film, right? It is produced by Tony Kamen, Seth Savoy, uh, and Mike Ware. It's executive produced by Edward Whirl, Jamie Vandia, Anthony Marchez, Brian Hensley and Corey Koken with supervisory efforts from Michael B. McGraw. Devon Delaney handles the music. Nathan Ray Salter, cinematography. Brendan Jameson edits the piece. Stacey Buckner is on production design. Art direction is Ronnie Quasman. Costume design is Kelsey Denvire. Makeup, we've got Riley Nickel. Um, and our cast. Well, Jen is played by Tedra Milan. Michael Regan plays her husband, Tyler. Uh, Jen's mum is voiced by Nancy Wagner. We've got Samuel Taylor as a homeless man. Uh, our masked crew, uh, Chris Amos, Matt Baldron, and Eli Hamilton. And Carter Shimp is a teenager. Okay, so the gist, the gist of the flick, right, is a young couple, Jen and Tyler, are forced to spend the night in their car after being evicted from their home. Battling exhaustion and anxiety, the sudden appearance of masked strangers makes what is already their most distressing night even worse so i mean that's uh yeah that's worrying right the thought of that sleeping in your car and then suddenly these masked crazies appear and start terrorizing you i mean doesn't sound fun right now it's it's classified as a horror right so when you think of the title ghost in the void that could mean so many different things, right? Because when you see masked strangers, right? So, yeah, ghost, you know, criminal. Criminals can be referred to as ghosts. You know, especially people that are elusive, right? They've, I think people coming back from war are often called ghosts, right? Because of that disconnection, you know, not being able to assimilate back into society, 
you know, for all of those kind of reasonings, you know, sometimes the, the term ghost is used, right? So it, it definitely made me think, all right, what, what is the, the connotation of this? Are we talk, are these masked people supernatural? Like, what is going on? What is happening here? So the film actually, you know, we open up with the couple pulling up in the parking lot and you know this is because when you first see the car i'm like what's on the roof you know what i mean this it, it, it's it looks like a weird store something that doesn't look like a storage rack what is that what was on the roof but then when they're talking you realize it's a mattress right it's a mattress. Now, I will say, they don't wrap the mattress, right? I'm just like, yo, I might transport my mattress. I'm wrapping that motherfucker up. Because it's getting all the grime from the road and just in the air. and just That's not going on the bed until it's been steam cleaned a few times. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, the mattress is on, and the conversation we learn they've been evicted, right? And they're sleeping out in the car, which is like, ooh, that's yeah, that's not good, right? That that's not fun, but it is interesting because you know Miller, what he said was about the film is the driving force of this movie for me was to capture the anxiety and fears that so many of us experience as we struggle to find our footing in the world and to express those feelings through my favorite genre, horror, right? Which, when you hear this conversation, yeah, that, that does like, you know, Things kind of true. You you worry about those things. You understand the concern. You know, um, Shaked Bernson, who owns Entertainment Squad and Horror Collective, you know, stated horror films echo the spirit of their age. Ghosts of the Void timely arrives amidst amidst rampant inflation and vanishing livelihoods for many. And reminds us that true terror often lies beyond the supernatural by capturing the essence of our collective fear. And I, I think when you hear those two statements, Ghosts of the Void really does do that, right? Because, you know, it, it, it's through these conversations that we start to learn more about Jen and Tyler. And the situation that has brought them to being in the car. You know, like I, at the beginning, I did think the conversation was a little clunky. Right. But as the film goes on, I think it really finds its feet. You know, we really do get a conversation that feels, you know, as we, as I say, as we learn more about these characters, right, this couple, the conversation really does start to ring true and give us a real good insight into the fabric of their situation, you know, because we meet and Everything seems great. They seem mad happy. You know, it's just a, a roadblock. Yeah, but they're going to get through it. You know? they it, it kind of feels like they understand each other. And, you know, they don't want to hurt each other. You know, it's a bit when... He's, he says something and she's just like, oh, I don't know. And then she's like, oh, sorry, I snapped. It wasn't really a snap, right? You, you know, th th there was no raising of voice, maybe a little bit abrupt, but it's nothing to be like 
but she apologizes, which then makes you feel like, yo, yeah, they got each other, man. You know what I mean? So you 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 have that, but then it's just like, oh, how did how did this happen? What what led to this? Right? That's what you're wondering. But as the film plays out, we get to peer behind the curtain. And that, <laughs> that shows us a lot. It shows us a lot, which is crazy. Because we start to see a few things, right? The, the reactions change. The emotions change. And it's done in a way where nothing is crazy abrupt, right? That the things always, right? Because it makes you think, hmm, I don't think that's the first time that happened, right? I don't think that's the first time. I think they're working through something. And so we have all of this and then we have the other stuff start happening which is you know like there's a little incident at the very start which i think if stuff really like happened straight away you'd think ah, it's i mean we kind of seen this before but the way everything does unfold, it does give you this interesting perspective. And you're also wondering, what is the reality of what I'm watching? Right? That's where it gets really trippy. Because, you know, when you factor in like medication and alcohol and just all of that stuff, we then start to get this psychological thriller, you know, which is always, I do like a really good psychological thriller, people. And this, whoo, man, this is good. This is, yeah, this is, the film was originally called The Lot. And they changed it, right? And I feel Ghosts of the Void it is more of a provocative. Because, you know, the lot, right? And lot as in parking lot, right? We don't call it a lot over this side of the pond, people. But, you know, like, it would make... Like, that title makes sense. But, yeah, Ghosts of the Void. That's got, and you know I like Void, right? So, you know what I mean? That's got this ring to it, this feel to it that just works perfectly for what we are seeing, you know? And it it makes you ask the questions, like, what would you do for the people you love, right? How much support have you got in you? Right, what are you willing to put up with? Right, what's the breaking point? When push comes to shove, what would you do? You know, it, it's, yeah, super interesting. So, I think, you know, at the end of this, I had a feel for what went down. But I think it ends in a way where maybe that maybe what I think isn't the thing. You know what I mean? But the editing is great because you know we see things unfold from kind of different perspectives and you know different angles and things like that which really give you so many, you know, kind of uh, ideas of what you're viewing, yeah, which just 
keeps you thinking, keeps you wondering, and keeps you super intrigued, man. Super intrigued. You know, as I said, like the opening conversation between Jen and Tyler, I thought was a little clunky, but yeah, let's not get it twisted, right? Because what, um, you know, Tedra Milan and Michael Regan do is such a great job of giving you those emotional beats, right? Taking you on this journey with this couple and having you believe the love, having you believe the anxiety, have you believe all the issues. It, it was done very well. It's done very well. And as a feature directorial debut, yo, you got to give it up to uh, Jason Miller as well. Because, you know, the, the angles, right, the shot selection, the way he let this story unfold was just perfect. You know what I mean? It was such a fucking good job because it keeps you guessing. It keeps you gripped, just gripped with this, which then makes it like, of course, right? Because this film just picked up the scariest feature film prize at the ninth annual pop Corn Frights Film Festival, which just took place. And you can definitely see how it picked that shit up. You know what I mean? Right? You're just like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense, people. That makes perfect sense. You know, it's already won a few other prizes as well. Best Picture, Los Angeles Cinematography Awards, Best Thriller at um, Crown Point International Film Festival, you know, just to name a couple of, uh, you know, the accolades coming at this joint. So, you know, it will be... Um, having a, a broad release in October, I think we will most likely be revisiting the film then, hopefully, people, with a conversation as well. We will, we will see how it goes. But definitely, this is one you want to check out, right? If you like that kind of psychological thriller, you know, if you like things that keep you gripped, then you definitely will not be disappointed in uh, Ghosts of the Void, right? I'm thinking when you, you know, films like this, you know, I don't know, stuff like, uh, ooh, like Influencer, the recent sh Shudder release. Um, oh, God, there was this great one that mm, was based at a lake house, and there was a woman dealing with a situation. And as the film, you understand what that situation, and you're just like, Oh, fuck, I cannot think of the name of it, though, which was dope. It was a Shudder film, came out, hmm, two years ago, I feel. Yeah, I, I think it was about two years ago. Might have been free, but it was fly. But, I mean, yeah, that's not necessarily that helpful to you. But, you know, hey. Just if you like good film tell storytelling, right? If you like that, 
you like good stories, emotional, you know what I mean? Something that keeps you immersed, then yes, you people, people, you will definitely be jazzed to check out Ghost of the Void. All right? And you know I do not throw you at anything. So, yeah, check this shit out. So, there you go, people. You know what I mean? I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. Go follow Jason in um, all he's doing. It's sounding like there's some interesting things to come. Go, definitely go check out Ghosts of the Void, right, which will be dropping today on VOD, so definitely, it's a great film, you know, all the links will be on the website, so people, go enjoy, and we'll see you later in the week for our official weekly echo chamber, which will be a two-parter, right? so, Until then, people, enjoy your film watching. Peace.